This morning, the title of this sermon is Church Trauma. And I was kind of reluctant to call it church trauma, but we try to optimize the searches online. And so church trauma, church drama, church whatever kind of kind of describes what I'm going to be ta- talking about today. But, but a lot of you that are attending have come from churches that weren't healthy and you've experienced some church drama and church trauma. And if you're around here long enough, you will experience again. Well, Chris, that's kind of negative. I always say churches go up and they go down and they have valleys, they have peaks. And we've been, we've been there and right now we're in a healthy spot. And you know what? I'm just riding the wave. It's kind of a nice curve. Do we have some challenges? Absolutely, all the time. And at the same time, I believe that the church is the greatest institution in the world. It's the kingdom of heaven. Warts and all, we will never arrive, never be perfect on this side of heaven. But it is a representation of the kingdom of God on earth. And on its greatest days, the most wonderful place to be and to work in. On the worst of days, it's the worst place and the most awfulest place to work in. Same is true. Now, what's the biggest complaint that you hear about the church. And I've, I've, I've been doing church work for 40 years. In fact, I was totally mentally prepared to get fired a lot of times in ministry. And I've been pleasantly disappointed. Not so far, not yet. But I still have the chance, right? Well, that's kind of negative. No, that's kind of reality when you preach the word of God and you're a prophet of God and you try to proclaim God's word boldly every time, every once in a while. You make some people mad. That's part of, of the body of Christ. Now, the biggest plain, complaint that I hear most of all, it's the most narrow-minded, it is bigoted, it is judgmental, they are harsh, and they are mean, and they are cruel. And that is accurate, accurate sometimes but not all the time. Then the question is, if Jesus came full of grace and truth, why are there so many Christians that seem to be full of hate and lies? Why are there some people in Christendom that are so mean and hateful? We all met them and all know them. And some of you are reluctant to join a body of Christ and you're checking it out and may take for years just to see how healthy and if we are about what we say we are about. And I would say most of the time we are, but not sometimes we aren't. We get lost in the weeds. Now, if you're a DC Talk, if you're a DC Talk fan of the 90s, you might remember this quote. It was in the Jesus, Jesus Freak concert. You would hear this on the album or the CD. Or on the, what do you call them now? Well, uh, cassette tapes. That was, that was, I think, was it during cassette tape? Yeah, I have an 03. It would have been in the cassette tape era. But it would be the MP3 today. Is that right? Okay. Or the MP4 or whatever it is. Brandon Manning, who was a Catholic priest, they quote him in the concert and they say, the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. And that is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. 
Wow. Wow. What the world simply finds unbelievable. Because they have expectations. They're not all wrong. But obviously they're not all right. Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 23, verses 27 to 28. They're part of the seven woes. Say woe with me. Say woe, woe. Say woe, woe, woe. Pretty good. Jesus said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Isn't that fascinating? That Jesus was that harsh that mean, that direct. And if you're joining us online today, hey, I want to welcome you, our online folks that are in your pajamas, eating your cereal, drinking your coffee, with your blankets, on your couch. I can just picture you. And some of you are in Florida right now, and you love it when I give you a shout out in Florida. Mom and Dad, I'm happy you're here with us today. Just want to know, want you to know I love you, and yes, I did call you this week, so... I should be in your good graces right now. Just tease it. But some of you are online because you're not sure whether it's safe to walk in through the doors of the church because you've experienced trauma and you're just trying to find your way back. I get that. I understand that. Some of you come in quickly and leave quickly and quietly and you go out the side doors because you don't want to be recognized and and you want to be anonymous because you're just checking us out. I get that. Now, when Jesus calls out hypocrites, I want you to think about this. It is someone who pretends to be other than what he really is. I run into hypocrites a lot. In fact, when I'm a landlord and I own several properties, and it's always fascinating. We do, oh, I do open houses and I meet people. And what they, what, what, what is fascinating is if they do a background on me, like I do a background on them on Facebook, they know I'm a, a preacher. And they know I'm a pastor. And so they start off with God this and God this, and I go to church and blah, 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 all the Christianese that you, all, everything they know, right? I mean, and I'm thinking, you know, what do, what do I do? Do I rent to them? No. If they're leading with the God card already, obviously they're playing me. And they do. I've tried it before. I end up evicting them. That's a hypocrite. Now there's hypocrites in the world. There's hypocrites in the church. And and we'll talk about that a little bit more. But Jesus was the first person to ever use the word hypocrite outside of the theater context. In the Greek theater, they, they would have actors and they would put on different masks to portray different characters. And obviously, that was not their character. And when we wear masks, we are hypocrites. And you might say, well, Chris, that's kind of harsh. Well, Jesus was a little harsh. We, Jesus of the Bible, Jesus of the gospel is not the romanticized, fictionalized, nice Jesus. He is the Jesus who he was. Sometimes he was harsh. And he called out those that weren't living the life. And there's that tension there. 
You've got to remember, Jesus wasn't calling out the sin. He was calling out the show. Let me repeat that. Jesus wasn't calling out the sin. He was calling out the show. And, and you might say, well, Chris, you know, you know, I'm just trying to do my best. So am I. But we've got to realize what's within, don't we? Jesus says it this way. He, he is so kind. He is so nice. Matthew 23, 33, he goes on and he says what? You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? That's nice Jesus. Nice Jesus. We were, we were on a, I was in a situation and one, one person who was woke was talking to another person who was also, and, and this woke person was just ripping this other person up. And then, and they presumed so much, and the other person came back with their life story. And the woke person had to apologize to the unwoke person. It was fascinating to watch. I, I, I want you to know that your pastor wanted to pile in and be harsh Jesus in that moment. Can you imagine? I didn't, I just kept my mouth shut and I looked at the person who was unwoke, who was actually really woke by, by the grace of God and I said, you know, you handle that very graciously, very kindly. I don't think I could have done it. I would have responded. I would have reacted in that moment, I think. So the question is, why do so many Christians get it wrong? Why do so many Christians get it wrong? And I'm going to give you a few, few reasons. It's probably not exhaustive, but a few. First of all, some people who claim, to, claim Christ aren't really Christians. If they're leading with God, God card, be wary. Be wary. Titus 1.16 says it this way. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their, what? Works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Just because they're playing the God card. I was working with a guy just this last week. He was high on meth. I have some friends in low places. And uh, my other friend who suffers with meth addiction was working with me. And they're good friends. And he said, you know, Chris, he's high. I said, how do you tell? He's got pink lips. I said, well, is that true of everybody? Should I just look? He said, his lips look like lipstick, Chris. I said, can I... Can I use that for everybody? He said, no, it's just random little things. One, one guy calling the other guy out. He was super nice on high, when he was high. Super nice. God this, God that. Appreciate you, pastor, blah, blah, blah. Thanks for helping me. And, you know, I was just hearing a bunch of Christianese, which obviously was not who he was. But he was portraying something. And he was trying. Give him the benefit of the doubt. He was trying. And, uh, you know, I want to work with him. I love him. I care about him. High or not, he needs to know something more real as he comes from that addiction. If, if you and I would, would have been raised the same way, guess what? We would be just like him, except for the grace of God. You see, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Believing in God doesn't make you a Christian. Following Jesus is what makes you a Christian. Now, do we need church? Do we need to believe? Absolutely. We need to make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but teach them to obey, and we will produce fruit by the grace of God through his Holy Spirit. Now, why do we get it wrong sometimes? Number two is some people are Christians but not mature. 
And sometimes I will sit in on conversations with people and I will talk to people and what they're concerned about and what, what they're involved with and what, what pettiness and what things are going on. And I have to recognize this is where they are. This is not where they are going, but they are in process just like me. Hebrews, the Hebrews writer says it this way, Hebrews 5. He says, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. We we all start out on milk. It's only by the grace of God, the spirit of God, the word of God living in us. It is stopping that immediate reaction in the flesh that I fell in so often and then responding in the spirit that makes us different. And that's relying by faith on a God who loves and cares for us. He looks at all, all of us as immature in the faith. And just because you're older and you've been in church all your life doesn't mean you're mature. Absolutely not. You can be an 80-year-old Christian and be very immature. I've seen it. Or you can be a very young Christian and maturing in your faith and allowing the God to transform you. So you can't look at a chronological age and think, I'm dealing with a mature person. Absolutely not. We should be, but we'll never stop maturing in Christ. And the third reason we get it wrong so often is that some are Christians and maturing and they still mess up. And I hope that's the category you're in because I believe that's the category that I'm in. I'm maturing, but I fall short. I will let you down. Pastoral leaders that I have admired, that, that minister to multitudes, thousands and thousands have failed. We all fall short. Oftentimes when we fall short, we blame our circumstances. But when someone else falls short, we blame their character. They're just an evil, no good, downright awful person. We judge ourselves by our intentions. We judge others by what they, we think their intentions are. And we give them typically negative intentions. We think they're out to get us. We're a little paranoid at times. Hear this. When we sin, God is not shocked. When our children spilt the milk, when our grandchildren make mistakes and burn things and spill things and do things that they're not supposed to because you're not watching them or when you're not watching them. Don't we say, hey, now that wasn't the thing to do. And we love them and are kind to them and are gracious to them. We might correct them, which we need to. God's not shocked because he knows that we are sinners. We are sinners by nature. We typically do the wrong things. As Christians, there's that tension in our lives. 
between the grace of God and the spirit of God and the sinful flesh. And as long as we live, we will experience that. We don't believe in the eternal sanctification around here. You will not reach perfection. You are in the act of becoming. Now, Chris, you're probably saying to yourself, well, last week, I really liked last week's sermon because you said we are God's workmanship created in the image of God for good works. But now you're being a little negative. I'm feeling a little guilt. Okay, there you go. There's the tension. We are God's workmanship created for good works. He is in the business of transforming us. But there's always that tension. The psalm writer wrote in Psalm 103, 14, he says, For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. Look to your neighbor and say, you are dust. Look to your other neighbor that you neglected and say, you are dust. Just one, I just wanted to remind you that you are dust. And I am dust. And if you're an old Kansas fan, that, that's a rock group from the 80s, I think. You are all dust in the wind. You hear that, older people? We know that. What the psalm writer is talking about is that we're just here for a moment. And we are blown, aren't we? Sometimes it gets windy in our lives. We've got to remember who we are and our moment. Now, this is interesting. Paul and Barnabas were on a mission trip. And they were preaching the gospel. And people were being converted, Gentiles and Jews. This was at Iconium. And in Acts 13, 49 and 50, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited devout women of a high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred things up. And they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. And they drove them out of their district. Now this wasn't nice. A lot of times Paul was stoned. I mean, not like stone meth or, or marijuana stoned. I'm talking about stone literally with big rocks. And you know what he would do? He gave up the faith and he stopped being a missionary and he stopped writing the, uh, the two-thirds of the New Testament. Is that what he did? Absolutely not. Talk about church persecution. Talk about nasty, mean people. They didn't just fire him. They threw him physically out. Sometimes tarred and feathered him or stoned him or however they could do it, nearly drowned him or beat him. That was what went on. But you got to remember, it wasn't the whole church. It was just a few people. Notice what he does. It, was, it wasn't the whole church, just a few people. Paul and Barnabas decided not, to, not going to let the sins of people keep them from the goodness of God. Here's the deal. If you're, if you're staying away from God because of people, you're valuing people more than your relationship with God. It's just a few people. It may just be one person. But notice what they do in verses 51 and 52 of this passage. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. What did they do? They shook it off. Now, you might remember a Taylor Swift song that my grandchildren loved in 2014. And what, you remember what it was? Shake it off. I can't even, I want to, shake it off, shake it off, shake it off. It was only, you know, that was it, that was it. I mean, I mean she made millions, 
Millions. Shake it off. The Apostle Paul did it 2,000 years ago. He shook it off. Sometimes, Christian, we need to shake it off. When we're offended, shake it off. When somebody does something mean to you, forgive them, shake it off. Remember that Taylor Swift song from 2014? Shake it off, baby. Sometimes I have to shake it off a few times a day, sometimes a few times a month, but I have to shake some stuff off. And if you're going to be in the church, you're going to have to learn to do that. I've been in church 40 years. I've seen church splits. I've turned to meanness. I've had heard angry words. I've been accused of being an awful, dirty, rotten scoundrel different times. What do I do? Shake it off. Get a good attitude. Now, does that mean I've not been hurt, abused, or uh, condemned? Absolutely not. But can I forgive and can I go on and get up? Absolutely. So what's the biggest complaint about the church for most people? Narrow-minded, judgmental, unforgiving, mean church people. But is that how we have to be? Absolutely not. We get to serve in the kingdom of God, the greatest institution on earth. Are we fallible? Absolutely. Are we imperfect? Absolutely. That is who we are. That's the biggest complaint about the church for most people. But hear this. The reality of it is is that we've all been hurt by hypocrites. But in the same way, all of us, including myself, have been hypocrites too. We've got to recognize that. I was in a situation where I saw a kid doing something to my yard and I kind of yelled at him and said, Hey! One of those. And then I said, You want me to do that to your yard? Very direct. I wasn't too mean, but I was mean. They were being disrespectful. But did I handle it graciously and kindly? Absolutely not. Do I need to make an apology and ask for forgiveness? Absolutely. Was I wrong? In one way, yes. In one way, no. But we need to be careful that we're not more focused on being right than being loving. And that was my error in that situation. That was my sin, believe it or not. If you've lost faith in Jesus because of people, maybe your faith is in people when it should be in Jesus. We need to be focused on him. And we need to look to Jesus for what he taught, for how he lived, and for how he loved. Right? He was the only perfect Savior that we will ever have. No political entity, no person, no institution will ever be Jesus. And you can look at church throughout history and not be surprised. About a month ago, I had the opportunity to be in Israel. And while I was in Israel, I think it was one night we were going to stay late in Jerusalem. And there's a picture here of where we were. This is actually the door to the Church of the Sepulchre, the most holy place in all of Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. And there, this door, they lock it, they open it every night. And you've got to understand something. As I'm preaching about church trauma, just think about this. 
There are seven churches that lay claim to the Church of Sepulchre. There's the Eastern Orthodox, there's the Roman Catholic, there's the Syriac, there's the Coptic, and I could go on, the, different, uh, the Ottoman Church. There's all different kinds of churches, and they all lay claim. But only three groups of priests get to spend the night in the Church of the Sepulchre. And there's this thing called the status quo on the Temple Mountain in Jerusalem. The, what was, the way it was, the way it always has been since Saladin took over Jerusalem in 1187 over Balin, the uh, prince of Ibeline, the nobleman. And the Muslims let the Christians leave peaceably. Actually, there were ransom paid to the Muslims. The Muslims then have control of all Jerusalem, especially the Temple Mount. But these seven churches have had factions, and there, there are certain things that they can do that not, none other can do. And the reason why the Church Sepulchre is the most important place in Jerusalem and in, on the Temple Mount is because that is where Golgotha was, where Jesus was crucified, where his body was laid, and where he was buried, the tomb. It's all right there. And most people are disappointed when they go in there because it's not very far. One is not very far away from the other. And this is as close as we can guess. There's also the tomb of the garden where they also think Jesus was laid because it looks more like what we would imagine. But really, the historicity lies toward the Temple Mount. What we acknowledge or guess is where this all occurred. So here you got these seven churches that can't get along, that have their specific duties. But one time, 600 years ago, there was a dirty window in the church of the sepulcher and some priest washed a window. If you throw it up 600 years ago, here is this. And they used this wooden ladder that you see in this picture to wash that window. Well, that wasn't what they were supposed to do, and that was some other church's responsibility for some other priest or worker to do. So they had this big draw or whatever you want to, this big fight over it. You know who stepped in? You know who stepped in to get them all to behave well with one another? Anybody guess? The Muslims. So while I was on this tour, they're making a big deal about, you know, locking the church of the sepulchre. And I said, I'm a pastor. I can watch CJ lock, lock the front door of our church anytime. What's the big deal? So, you know, a couple in our group that are probably watching from Florida today, Stacy was there and she wanted to stay for the locking of the, of the door of the Church of Sepulchre. I thought, okay, I'll stick around. I'll miss my meal at the hotel. I, I'll, I, I won't get to put my feet up any, any sooner than, than, you know, but I'll go watch these guys do this. Well, it was kind of fascinating. I took a video of it, but I'll show it to you sometime. But anyway, here was this little fat Muslim guy who, guess who, guess who locks and unlocks the Church of the Sepulchre every day? Muslim. Muslim family for the last 600 years. Little fat Muslim guy, cheerful, jovial. In fact, you know, Stacy and, and her friend uh, got to touch ski. So they have a high up lock and they pass this ladder out of the gate or out of the door up to this Muslim who steps up, locks the door up top and locks the door below, passes the passes the ladder through because the Christians can't get along with each other well enough to lock their own sacred of sacred spot. I thought that'll preach. 
That was worth the trip to Israel. Just watch that. Wow. What does that say about us? We're still in the flesh, but by the grace of God. But by the grace of God. You know, Jesus has zero tolerance for hypocrisy. Zero. You use the word, the only one that used the word in the Bible was Jesus. 17 times. I want, to, I want you to hear this. I want to lean into you right now. He has unlimited grace for a sinner in need of forgiveness. Unlimited grace. Don't you doubt it. He loves you. I may not be a great responder or a reactor in Christ, but I'm, I'm a pretty good getter-upper. You know what? When we make a mistake, we seek forgiveness, we claim forgiveness by faith, we trust in a God who, who throws that sin away from us and loves us. And by His grace, we are transformed. We should be the most gracious, loving people there ever was. And we will be if we keep getting up being transformed by the Holy Spirit of God. I challenge you to do that. Will you please stand in prayer with me? Eternal God and Father, again we're reminded how gracious you are and we're so glad that you are a loving Father that throws our sin as far as the east is from the west when we seek forgiveness. And Father, you are a gracious Father who loves his children like crazy. And help us never to forget that. And, and, and Father, at the same time, we just pray that we will extend grace to those around us in love and in mercy, recognizing that tension that we exist in. But Father, we're thankful for the hope that is beyond the grave, the hope that in this life, that through your transforming work of the Spirit and your grace is enough for us to be transformed by you. Father, we give you all the praise and all the glory. And Father, I just pray for those that are leaning back and afraid to be a part of your people. I pray that they'll take that step. And Father, for those that need to be baptized into Christ in you, that they will take that step. And Father, for those that don't know what to do with that God thing that is knocking on the door of their heart, that Father, they'll open that door and they will receive you. And Father, that transforming power will exist in their life. They'll be drawn to a saving faith. Father, only you can do that work. We just pray that we'll be participators in that work. Promoters and encouragers of what you're doing. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Will you come this morning?